All right. I forgot to, to push record last week uh, until far into our discussion. So uh, sometimes I might need to remind me if I don't have it. All right. So chapter eight is quite an intense chapter. I, <laughs> I must admit, I haven't even got all the way through it. I've listened to it a whole bunch of times, but it's not the same as, as actually sitting down, taking notes, extracting all of that information. Um, yeah, I, I tried my, my hardest today to really cram for it, but um, I, I, it, there's a ton of stuff up front of the chapter, so we'll, we'll focus there, and uh, if anybody has anything else that they'd like to talk about in those other ones, I'd love to hear it as well. Um, so let's kind of start off with the topic that is uh, at the top of 269. It says that we often learn more from resolving paradoxes, from sorting out seeming contradictions than we can in any other way. Do you guys find that true in, in our church today, where we often learn more from resolving paradoxes than we do in just basic learning uh, in, in general? What kind of paradoxes do we see um, or what paradoxes have you encountered in your studies that, that you've learned from, et cetera? Uh, that's kind of a tall order. So um, uh, while, while you're thinking of it, I'd like to kind of start out with two. I think that some of our two most divisive ones, kind of paradoxes that uh, throw a lot of people off is polygamy and, and the priesthood, right? The, uh, the ordination of, of blacks in the priesthood. I, there's so many people that, that leave the church because of those two things, even though they have a good solid testimony of Joseph Smith, the Restoration, Book of Mormon, um, just the plan of salvation in general. But those two things can, can sometimes throw people uh, way off. And as it says in the next paragraph, that it, um, let's see, uh, God includes enough ambiguity in his revealed word to provide an out for those who resist his invitation to seek the truth. I think that those are, are two pretty good examples of, of us in the restoration, that um, there's enough ambiguity that it, it leaves an out for people that if, if that's the way they want to go for now, uh, they, can, they can choose to uh, distance themselves from, from that and, and come back and, and revisit it later. But um, uh, what other uh, paradoxes or uh, seemingly contradictory things have, have you come across in, in your studies or, or seen other people come across that um, we, we don't really uh, come to the truth in any other way but by sorting out those paradoxes? Does anything come to mind? Cameron, I don't know if this is even right or relevant, but <laughs> one of the things that's been being discussed on the blogs lately is whether the brethren have really had a second comforter experience. Mm -hmm. For example, um, in the Book of Mormon, you know, King Benjamin says, well, the angel who spoke to me last night said this, and we've never heard the brethren say that. So I don't know if that's a paradox or what. <laughs> I mean, but it's something I would like to discuss with you because you said the other night that you were sure that the that the 12 had had a second comforter experience now how do you know that 
<laughs> That's a tall question right there. I know, um, I know. But yeah, I think it fits in very well to this whole paradox thing because uh, how many times have, have we been in a Sunday school? I'm talking from, from personal things here. So uh, been in a class where uh, people in, in positions of, of leadership have, have basically shut that idea down. No, that stuff doesn't happen anymore. That was in, in the Bible kind of thing. We don't uh, see Christ face to face. We don't do this. We don't do that. And it's like, okay, so there's, there's a paradox here. Just because one person hasn't had it versus another one that is striving for it kind of thing. Uh, I think that that's uh, a, a key paradox there, that we can't learn it in any other way, but by sorting out those paradoxes, because there is a disparity uh, between two different ideas, idea sets. That's how we learn, because it, it, it pushes us to learn and to research and to um, find uh, some of those, those different things. So, um, somewhere in, it's either this chapter or last chapter, I can't remember where, but it says that, that those that see God are often those that, that keep most quiet about the details of it and don't come right out and say it, right? And so we have to look for the, the context clues. Once you know the language of symbolism, once you know the idea of chiasmus and, and can really piece things together in a a higher language than, than just what we speak in a general context, you start seeing that, that the prophets are, are telling us very clearly what they've experienced and when. And, and you can kind of see the patterns because God always works in patterns. And so once you know that, that language of symbolism and patterns, et cetera, um, it becomes pretty, pretty evident, pretty clear where people, at, uh, where people are at on the ladder and and what they've saw and and kind of read into to some of their their hints at it for example like i mean even though all of these groups are, are my best friends i if i seen the lord i probably wouldn't be telling people about it either you know in those direct words because that would would cause another disparity uh, against different things and so um when somebody has had it, they, they usually come out in an anonymous fashion or, or whatever kind of thing to kind of hide it. Um, but I, I, I'm trying to think of like examples of right off the top of my head. Um, the ones that come to mind are Bruce R. McConkie. His last uh, uh, conference talk is point blank. He's seen the, the three gardens and he's telling people that you can too. Um, the, the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Gethsemane, and then uh, the Garden of Paradise. Um, and then uh, Boyd K. Packer uh, told his granddaughter uh, about his experience with the Savior in the temple, and that's written somewhere. I have uh, a list of these somewhere. Um, let's see, I'm trying to think of other ones. Lorenzo Snow, uh, when he was uh, in that uh, apostolic interregnum, uh, he was praying that um, that he wouldn't be it, or <laughs> whatever you want to uh, phrase that. He was he was very nervous to assume the role of prophet because he knew it was coming to him next. And um, anyway, then he turns the corner and, and sees Christ and and everything there in the Salt Lake Temple. That whole experience is written down um, that he told his granddaughter. Um, we have lots of different 
witnesses of of these things but but more than that i i think that it expands to all of the the 12 as special witnesses we we use titles a lot in the church to denote certain functions or certain responsibilities and um, just as it talks about in this book when you ascend the the ladder to heaven you receive a new name and that new name comes with a new purpose and I believe that that's what the um, uh, the, the term uh, special witness or, or a special messenger of him uh, apostolos in, in Greek means that that one who is sent and um, sent where sent just to to talk about something that they've never seen or to actually witness of, of divinity that they've witnessed and partaken of. Now, I think that based on the levels of the ladder here in Isaiah decoded, that we have apostles throughout the dispensation that have been on either the sun servant or the, the seraphim. I don't know if necessarily all of the apostles have, have went to that seraphim level, but I would, not that I'm betting money, I... <laughs> would put my reputation on the line to say that all of the apostles get to the sun servant level, that they make Davidic covenants on our behalf. That's my opinion, obviously, not doctrine. But I don't know. Any other things? Let's see. There's a chat really quick. I put some stuff in the chat because it was too long to quote. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I figured you could read it or I could read it that way. I could see it all at once. <laughs> yep, for sure. So this is from, let's see, J.K. Chesterson. Do you know who he is? Is he like a member um, of the or just a... I know he's a writer. I'm not sure if he's a theologian or not. I mean, it's he's old. I'm thinking he wrote not novels, but I could be wrong mm -hmm. in the 1800s, but I'm not positive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's but, um, I just never Yeah, because I read a whole lot a couple of years ago on Paradox and I remember sharing it on Facebook and there was somebody so adamant that the gospel has no paradox in it. It's just truth. There's no paradox. And I was like, so how do you describe Adam and Eve? <laughs> that's, that's the whole paradox of everything. <laughs> yeah. And so you wanted examples. And so I had some examples, which I thought were interesting. Yeah, for sure. Um, prepare every needful thing, but depend on the Lord. Mm -hmm. Find ourselves to find ourselves. We must lose ourselves. Grace without works is dead, but we are saved by grace alone. We are judged by our works, but we are saved by grace. We are not to have envy, but we are to envy the best gifts. Those Paradox is how all truth is circumscribed into one great whole without understanding and applying the principles of paradox. Nothing we teach in the gospel is complete. Wow. I don't know where I got that top quote. That so is very <laughs> right there yeah i mean the the whole uh one great whole truth circumscribed like that one's gonna take a while to like digest it <laughs> yeah i had it if i can find it on facebook it was several years ago i had a chart where you have two true two truths and where they interlap and over like two circles and uh -huh. when they overlap that's the paradox and that's where all this the truth is is when the two truths overlap or one looks false and one looks I can't remember. I haven't seen it for a long time. And you can't save uh, 
pictures in the gospel app. I wish you could. <laughs> I know. I wish they would uh, incorporate that feature soon because I have so many that I'd like to put in there. I know. And I just, so I don't know if, where it's saved anymore, the picture, other than on Facebook somewhere lost three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I love that. Those, those paradoxes are, are paramount there because we know that those are our gospel truths, right? Those bullet points that you listed there. And so someone that says that there's no paradoxes, it's like, how do you explain those? Then? <laughs> because uh, either one prophet is lying or another prophet doesn't understand something, but no, all, all truth is. Yeah. So I think to understand the gospel, we need to look for the paradoxes, the op, the op, what looks like opposites to us. I mean, uh -huh. to be great, we have to be humble. I mean, those are opposites. Most people think to be great is to be exalted, but to be exalted, we have to be humble, you know? So those are opposites and it's what, you know, so. Yeah, I love that. Um, what was the thing that I was going to say? Oh, without getting political, obviously, and, and we don't have to even comment on it, but I mean, there's there's some great paradoxes that came out of 2020, right? Vaccines, masks, all the above. Um, there's so many fights about it <laughs> uh, amongst the, the elect of, of God. But, but yet, if we take a step back and look at paradoxes, what is God trying to teach us through paradox here? You know, like there, I, mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot to be said there. But again, like I definitely don't want to broach that with group b that would be a <laughs> that would be a little <laughs> but but yeah i i love that idea of paradoxes i mean even if we look at like the the first commandments you know multiply and replenish but don't partake of that tree i mean we know that they were both commandments and that God doesn't contradict himself, etc. But, but that paradox, don't partake of it unless you're ready to accept the responsibilities and the, the descent that, that comes along with it. So I think that that kind of leads into uh, the whole topic of Adam and Eve here in, in this chapter. Um, I, I was <laughs> intrigued when we're talking about the God of Israel, and yet it heavily references on Adam and Eve uh, throughout this chapter and and the different things that we learn from from their story um what were some of the the ideas of Adam and Eve creation uh recreation all of that that uh, was insightful to to you all as as you read the the chapter this week well I'm guilty I haven't read any of it so <laughs> I'm hoping to do it by Wednesday. That's my deadline, and I cram it all in on Wednesday usually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no worries at all. Yeah, I, sometimes I, I I wonder why I did one chapter a week. It's a it's a homework assignment to say the least. Well, is is Adam and Eve a title then? Because there are Adam and Eves on many worlds. Mm -hmm. so, in this chapter it it says that, that we can become Adams and the and Eves right there on top of 274 we can become Adams and Eves in inherit and inherit paradise as an everlasting inheritance so I mean 
right there, that seems to be Satan. It is a title. Mm -hmm. So yep. this is going to sound really weird too. And, you know, don't take this as gospel or quote me on it, whatever. But when I was growing up, I was always a little, I don't even know how to say it, um, perturbed, but in like a low key perturbed that I couldn't become a savior. Like I was a little bit jealous of Christ that, that he was able to do that role. I was like, I want to do that role kind of thing. And then as I'm reading this chapter, that I, my mind revisited some of those, those earlier things. We can become Adams and Eves. We can become saviors. We can become proxy saviors. The, like all of these things are titles and patterns as we ascend. Um, I, I found all of that very insightful and intriguing. Um, uh, just, just the fact about titles, like, like you said, uh, are, there, are there multiple ones Is, on all the different worlds? Are they called the same, et cetera? Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I definitely think so. And the fact that we can, uh, have a part in that as we ascend the ladder, as we progress in our thing in order to become gods, it would seem a natural process to, to assume some of these other assignments or callings and, and receive those titles kind of thing. Are you saying you believe in reincarnation then? Oh, no, definitely not. I, I am not a reincarnationist. <laughs> there are, there's quite a little sect of, of Latter-day Saints that are, and, and I know, yeah, that I gets know. tricky. <laughs> area. I know, I know, it's just. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, they make some, some valid points, but it's all part of like Satan's de deception there. The <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I have a question then. Um, I'm not sure what page this is on but it says persons like Isaiah Jeremiah and God's servant who start their earth life on levels higher than Jacob and Israel so will you expound on that camera <laughs> what does that mean <laughs> you've got some good questions I love it um yes so in a previous chapter I had to go back and look because I was like, is Avraham like contradicting himself? Because he said earlier that we're all born on the Jacob Israel level, but earlier he said most are born on the Jacob Israel level. And I was like, oh, okay. That's just where I needed to be at that point. But now it's like, okay, we're giving you more. So based upon um, those principles of like foreordination, predestination, etc., cetera, uh, in the pre-existence, based upon how we progressed there determines where we can start out this life on. But that being the case, when we start off on a higher level of the ladder in mortality, that means our descents come quickly and they, they come fast kind of the thing. Uh, I think that that's very interesting as, as you look at the lives of some of those prophets, they had some major challenges and trials that they had to overcome and, and some of them very early on in their lives. Um, we see Isaiah, the story of him when he's just a lad, that he sees God in the temple. And then, I mean, the, his progression throughout his life, he's going through ascents and descents all over the place in order to, um, to, to progress up the ladder and, and minister to others as a prophet. Um, but I'm so glad he did because we have these writings and we have these, this knowledge here in this last days 
um, based upon that. But, but yeah, it, it, that was a, a new thing for me, this chapter, uh, uh, seeing the pattern of, of some of the prophets that, that start off on the ladder higher than the Jacob Israel category. Um, we see, you know, some mention of uh, some prophets who, I don't, this is just coming to mind. I haven't looked it up or whatever, but who was baptized in the womb kind of thing? John. John. John was baptized in the womb kind of thing. That would, uh, you know, I don't know if the, the actual baptism happened in the womb, but yet I think that that's alluding to the fact that he was born above the Jacob Israel level, um, being able to fulfill his mission with kind of a head start based upon his pre-existence um, his righteousness in the pre-existence kind of thing. I don't know. I, I, don't quote me on that one either. This, this whole <laughs> chapter eight group A chat is, is non-quotable. <laughs> I love it. So um, um, just another, another question, then I'll be quiet. Um, good. What does it mean that if you're at a lower level, you're orbiting slower than the celestial beings who are or orbiting faster. And that makes sense because a thousand years of our time is one day to God. I mean, yeah. what, is, what does that all mean? Do you, did you understand that? That was a little bit <laughs> it beyond me. Thank you. <laughs> I haven't had time to like fully meditate on it and really dive into it. No, but I do love that whole, uh, was that just last chapter or the chapter before where it talked about the actual delineation of, of times? Uh, they're kind of in the footnotes of the, or the postscript of the, the chapter. Anyway, uh, learning from that and, and the, the different time levels on each of the, the levels of the ladder, I thought was very interesting. And then when he talks about it on page 282, where um, that you have certain things orbiting the others, let me find where it says it, because I'm going to mess up the words if I don't. Let's see. So on 281, at the very bottom, when we think of smaller heavenly bodies that orbit larger ones in terms of the smaller keeping the law of the larger, whether by gravity or electrostatics, then the cosmos alludes to ascending levels. Moons orbiting planets, planets orbiting stars, and stars orbiting centers of galaxies, parallel persons observing even higher laws as they ascend. And then the movement in unison of larger heavenly bodies and the lower nature of rogue entities such as comets, asteroids, and dust parallel the oneness of higher spiritual levels and the chaotic characters of lower ones. I, I just love that where um, I honestly had never thought about it. I, that was uh, completely new to me that um, we have different levels of orbiting. I, I had never heard that our sun orbits a galaxy before. That was completely new to me. But where our moon is orbiting us, the planet, then the planet is orbiting the star, star orbiting the galaxy, etc. It's like, oh, oh, this makes so much sense. And then the time frame of each of those because what is a day to us? It's when the, the sun rises and, and sets and stuff. And we have that 24 hour period as we know it um, in this day of the earth. It's changed many times throughout the earth's history, but we have 
different planets who have different days, right? Like a day on Jupiter is not the same amount of time as it is for us because um, for, for the sun to rise and set on it is completely different than, than ours. And so it, it got me thinking about like the moon, like what is a day on the moon versus ours and um, how we measure light years and all that kind of stuff. It's <laughs> mind boggling. And I didn't have time to like fully ponder on it because I was trying to finish this chapter. But I think that that is a clear allude or, or directly pointing to the fact of the different levels of the ladder and how we experience time differently. When the sun rises and sets, meaning our descent and ascending phases are, they occur more rapidly on, on different levels of the ladder kind of thing. Um, I, I don't know. As I've been looking back at my life and trying to chart out my progress on, on the ladder thing, I, I'm finding that at the beginning of my life that my descent and ascent phases were very slow. And now that I, I'm progressing and learning more, I mean, they're like, they're bebopping all over the place. <laughs> it's kind of like a, a, a wild roller coaster. <laughs> but that, that time speeds up because your ascent and descent phases are, are speeding up. And, and that even the, the heartbeat is, is kind of a, a, a pattern of that ascent and descent phase. I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was interesting to hear you talk about it anyway. <laughs> I think it's interesting that um, as children, time does go slower for us. And as, we're, as we age, the days just seem to zip by. Exactly, right? I, mean, I used to think that, you know, a week was like forever. I mean, those... like. I don't know, Sundays seemed way far apart before you started a new week and, and years. I mean, oh man, that <laughs> when's my next birthday kind of thing versus now it's like, oh my gosh, I, where, like last I knew we were in January, but now we're <laughs> heading into to June. Where did the time go? This is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's very interesting how our, our perception of time um because like the days have, have stayed the same but yet um our our perceptions are our, our things are are much different yeah and then i i said i was going to be quiet but that was a lie <laughs> I love it. um one thing i got out of this chapter is that we will be able to progress in the hereafter exponentially, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, which I mean, is awesome. Like I've always thought it, but I never knew how to really back it up. I mean, I've studied universalism a lot and, and all of that, but uh, this really put it into to good concrete context of, oh, of course you do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. And, you know, I, again, it, it kind of pulls back to, to astronomy and the, the stars and uh, all of that. We can see a lot of that full-on progression through our, our, our sky, what we can observe. I mean, the, well, the day sky as well, but the night sky 
is kind of an endowment of sorts for those who are trained in that language. And I'm definitely not there by any means, but I, I'm seeing it more and more that um, the entire scriptures, the entire plan is, is written in the stars if we'll just take time to, to look and meditate upon it. And once we can learn some of that language and, and things, it, the more and more I see how um, that God just kind of puts on a scene for us at, at night and, and how that, that kind of references our, our dreams as well. And I don't know, but <laughs> that's a, a huge topic in and of itself. I think it's also the calendar, the Hebrew calendar. And guess I created a group on that. I think that is a good time frame because we've, I read something recently on how our calendar is really corrupted from the original calendar and we follow those holidays rather than the lord's holidays or what we see in the skies um you know and i think it's important that we follow both of those and mm -hmm. we just continue to follow the the calendar the way it was set up hundreds of years ago with all the holidays the pagan holidays and <laughs> so i think it if we really study the the hebrew holidays in the skies i think we'd learn a lot like you've been studying the chiasmus and other things it's just i think it's eye-opening mm -hmm. yeah my first so, Al, yes where are we then um, according to the hebrew calendar as far as the where are we <laughs> uh i don't know about the half hour silence but i know people think we are um where are the, the different feasts? We're into the last feast, which is there's the the feast of the atonement, I think. And I think that's the sixth or seventh one. So it's it's at the end of it's at the end of time and we're getting to that point. And we all know that, but I'm I'd like to study it more and understand how it relates to the end times. Um I did post a video in the group of a I don't know what the pastor is, but he was talking about how the calendar and how it's relating to when he thinks the tribulations are and that, that kind of stuff. So well, we're, def we're definitely in the seventh seal, right? <laughs> yes. Well, that's some people think we're not, but yes, I think we are. <laughs> it's amazing to me when that gets thrown out there on, on social media and stuff. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm just going to duck my head and look away because I can't. I know. I just saw one the other that. day. <laughs> yeah. And like, we're yeah. definitely in the sixth or whatever. And I'm like, okay. Because <laughs> there's, there's no argument. I mean, there's no point in arguing and uh, arguing is only going to lead to dissension and disunity and stuff. But, uh, you know, there will come a time when, when Christ comes and you go, oh, whoops, we were. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I just amazed at how many friends just think, oh, we've got 50 years left. And I'm like, oh, I just want to cringe. I'm like, what's the prophet saying? We're running out of time. You know, spirit, do the spiritual work necessary. I'm like, don't you get that? I'm like, I just, uh -huh. it's like, no, it's, it's, I, I think it's in our lifetime, most of our lifetimes, unless maybe you're really, unless you're 80 or 90, maybe, but I think it's going to be in our lifetimes. That's, I think, why they've started the children's. I was just discussing that with a friend. That's why they've started the children's 
initiative, I think, because mm-hmm. they're the ones that are going to be here to usher in Christ's second coming. You know, the ones that are six and eight and 10 now, mm-hmm. I think they'll be young adults. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's that far off, but I could be wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's all very interesting how how that plays in. You know, if I didn't wake up uh, a few years ago, I, I probably would have listened to those same conference talks and been right along that same line. But um, it, the Lord's working with us on all of the levels of the ladder, which is, I think, the most amazing part of the whole plan in and of itself, that one God can set up such a structure of ministering on all of these levels so that everyone's taken care of and we all can advance according to our desires and wishes. Once once we want to come to God, he's ready to come to us, like, right, right then kind of thing. I, I think that's so exciting you know because uh i don't know for the, for the past year you know i was like okay i definitely want to be translated this is this is what i want this is what i need kind of thing this is where i think the lord wants me and then uh studying this um book has really opened my eyes to oh wait there's a there's a level in between zion jerusalem and seraph that that you're skipping here and and focus on on that level see how how that takes you and all of these different things uh, of coming to him. And then uh, as I'm trying to, to work on that, uh, he's just revealing more and more. And, and once we kind of stop looking beyond the mark and, and we can show our eagerness to, to learn, he's ready to come to us and, and just expound things, which is amazing. Um, and then in the, the context of, of Ascension to uh, that we are gods in embryo, you know, there's many people on just on the world that, um, you know, look at us and, and think, oh, well, you guys think that that Satan is Christ's brother and that we can all become God. So run away from that kind of a religion. And I'm like, how is that hard to believe? Like, you think that Adam was created literally from from dust and from an Eve from a rib? How is God's an embryo any more difficult to, to fathom <laughs> exactly. than that, you know? Exactly. Here in the chapter as well. Yeah, very interesting. But um, sorry, I get kind of long-winded and stuff, I guess. But <laughs> um, back to the the calendars and, and all of that, um, I, I, I wrote it down. I really want to look that up because that's intriguing. I haven't thought about that before. Uh, where are we at on the Hebrew calendar with the half hour of silence? I think that that's going to be a fun topic to, to maybe study this week. Um, well, if you find anything, share it to the, to that <laughs> yeah, group, yeah, to that. Yeah. It's amazing. Like I have so many things that I want to study each week and then it gets so much that I almost kind of don't study anything. <laughs> I, I yeah. want to study fairy tales and I want to study this and that and so forth. But um, one of the things that, that I really do want to study sometime soon is the different calendar systems, because um, with John Pratt's work on Enoch's calendar and, and looking at the, uh, the Enochian calendar, how it plays into things is crazy precise uh, of, according to the, the last days and, and everything. And I think I haven't that, heard of that one. So you're going to, you're going to have to share that because <laughs> yep. I haven't heard of that one. So, I mean, this predates Israel's calendar by, you know, a couple dispensations. And um, so Enoch de- developed his calendar and, and you can find it in the, 
the apocryphal books of Enoch. But John Pratt did a lot of extensive, extensive study and research on Enoch's calendar and has published uh, a few different blogs and websites and stuff. But when I started looking into him, come to find out he's uh, went apostate with an, a different branch of the church kind of thing. And so I kind of shied away from it at first. But um, I, I want to dive back into it and, and find stuff out. But I mean, it predicts the end of the world as somewhere in 2020 something um, before the 30s, I remember. And um, it, it all aligns with the equinoxes and the different time changes that have happened along the uh, the years of the earth. It lends right into the cosmism, etc. Anyway, there's there's a lot there. And if we compare that with the, the Hebrew calendar and everything, I think that we would find some some interesting tidbits. It's definitely a a rabbit hole I want to dive down. But yeah, our, our current calendar system is so corrupt. And I didn't really realize it until um, the, the divisive posts of, of Masa when he talks about traditions of men and uh, mm -hmm. getting rid of like Halloween and, and rethinking some of the aspects of Christmas, etc. And then I was like, well, what about Valentine's Day? Do we got to get rid of that as well? And then I was like, uh yeah and saint patrick's day and like all of the the holidays that we celebrate are based on this mm -hmm. gregorian calendar it's like oh my gosh my whole life is a lie <laughs> i know i found a great article written by i think van brinkerhoff i don't know if he's oh, yeah. a member of the church still but it was like a 60 page pdf all about idolatry and that had stuff about the calendar and all kinds of stuff and i'm like with scriptural references and i'm like wow Mm -hmm. wow our life totally is a lie it totally is <laughs> it's like we've just been brainwashed by yeah by by secularism and, and uh -huh. pagan ideals and stuff for yeah, sure exactly oh my gosh <laughs> yeah, it was that, eye opening and i didn't even finish it all it was like wow yeah it's amazing i, I find and you know don't quote me on this either but I find that most of his works are, are right online until the last couple of years. He has left the church and uh, willingly advocates against President Nelson, but oh, uh, really? a lot of, his, oh, a lot of his earlier works are kind of spot on with symbolism and, and temple architecture, et cetera. Um, but but something, something happened in those last couple of years that, that really, um, he like his new book on polygamy and stuff is just way off. <laughs> but anyway. Is this Brinkerhoff that you're talking about? Yeah, Val Brinkerhoff. Um, uh, yeah, he he wrote this new book saying how we've all been beguiled and Joseph Smith was never a polygamist and polygamy was never actually a thing. And I don't know, there, there's a lot of- Interesting. Yeah, I heard negative stuff on, about Gileadi and also the guy that writes uh, Daniel 11 and Revelation, what's the- Oh yeah, Michael Rush. Yeah, they were saying mm -hmm. negative stuff about him too. And it's like, oh boy. Yeah, so you have to really be careful and have a discerning eye, I think, and mind about what you read. Yeah, because, exactly. Yeah, it's hard to tell what, anymore. What do you think about Michael Rush, Cameron? <laughs> <laughs> I love the opinion hour. <laughs> That's funny. I agree with about 80% probably of what Michael Rush says, but you know, I agree with about 90% of Gileadi. I think we all have our own, because absolute truth is absolute truth. I'm not trying to deny that, 
but I think that that God leads us in lots of different paths, and uh, we might be gleaning some from this author and some from this author, etc. Um, but I think that everybody, I mean, myself included, like I, I'm changing opinions and uh, stuff all the time, kind of thing. But uh, as far as like Michael Rush, like I, I love a lot of his stuff. I there, there's a few tangents that I, I wholeheartedly disagree with, but on, on, on the majority of, of, of things, I, I really like his interpretation and his works. Um, uh, but like, like the same, like Gileadi, I love this book. Uh, I was very skeptical getting into it because of some of the stuff I heard about him and everything, but I, I find that I agree with probably a good 90% of, of what's in here. Um, James Proud, on the other hand, <laughs> he's an interesting one. I, I find uh, I disagree with him more than I agree with him on, on a daily you know, basis. I, I thought a lot of the stuff that Denver Snuffer, I read every one of Denver Snuffer's books. Yeah. But you could tell when he was going off. You could tell when he was getting off track, couldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, there was so, so much of the stuff he wrote was true so much mm -hmm. that it was I, it was valuable yeah exactly very valuable information and stuff but but at some point there's a deception where satan enters and because of unpreparedness or or pride or or something you can see exactly when they they start going off and everything and i would hope that everybody here would would ever tell me if you ever started seeing some of those warning signs because I, I want to avoid that like a plague <laughs> I, I don't want to what about Mike Stroud I thought he was the best Book of Mormon teacher I had ever listened to mm -hmm. I have Mike. not dove into all of his stuff fully that one has been a, a very recent recommendation to me. And uh, I find that I, I love a lot of the stuff that I, I'm hearing. I haven't found anything that I, I super disagree with. But um, in that vein, I think that some of that lends itself a lot to what Avraham is talking about here um, in, in our descent and ascent phases. On the Zion Jerusalem level, we have three tests of loyalty, right? And one of them is ecclesiastical persecution. And I think that Avraham definitely experienced it, you know, unrighteous excommunication. Um, uh, Mike Stroud, it could be another uh, scenario of that. I'm not sure. I, I'm not one to judge because I don't know his works very well. Um, based upon what I've read, there, there seemed to be like two little statements that he said in one of his podcasts that were, were opinion that that led to his excommunication but i don't know i haven't listened to him i i need to to more fully develop that but uh the the little that i've read on him i i love it i think that there's a lot of truth there but yeah like you said with like denver snuffer i mean there there was a lot of truth in in some of like i learned a lot about chiasmus from denver snuffer yet i can tell you right now like i would never say that in public <laughs> because I mean he has gone way off the the deep end and stuff and I don't want to associate it at all with that but there's definitely some truths you know and if we look at the Catholic Church uh, Hinduism all of these things there's there's truth everywhere and if we have the spirit of discernment the the Lord's going to lead us in lots of different ways which I think is great that's that's awesome that that we have that that safeguard there 
and all the more reason to follow President Nelson's counsel to hear him. If we're connected to heaven, we can, can avoid deception. And I think that that's just a huge plague in, in our church these days. Um, <laughs> I, I told my mom that I wouldn't talk about this at all, but I'm going to anyway. Um, because I think that this is a, a fun little group and <laughs> we can do it. But how many of you have, have heard of uh, energy work, energy healing, all of that kind of stuff? You know, I mean, that that is leading a lot of people astray. And uh, I had my first introduction to it a, a while back and, and I, I navigated it with the spirit, etc. Learned what things were, were correct about it, what things were totally wrong about it. Um, but, but I tell you, it is just wreaking havoc amongst millennials, uh, amongst uh, uh, the whole church, really. I mean, energy healing is leading a lot of people astray. But there's a, there's a page about it in the new handbook. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because the, the church leaders are going, whoa, what is happening? Our, our stake president is... Um, I don't have this directly from his mouth. I heard it secondhand, but he said that that energy healing is is the leading cause of divorce in our stake. That uh, whatever he doesn't know about it, he doesn't uh, know much of the details. But he says whatever it is, it causes divorce. And uh, it was just very interesting and eye opening. Like, whoa, this is this is huge. There's a a lot to this that we just don't understand. Um, but is it, is it predominant there in Idaho? I knew it was a big thing in Utah several years ago, but now it's moved its way to Idaho. Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty predominant in at least southern Idaho, where I am, am right now and stuff. I, I assume oh. throughout the rest of the United States and, and things. It's a, it's a crazy one. <laughs> I, you know, it, it, I'm not going to ever go in publicly on any of my YouTube videos and, and talk about that at all, but there's there's a lot there that I think there's truth in it mingled with precepts of men or else people mm -hmm. wouldn't be so easily deceived by it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's about discernment and, and actually gleaning out truths, etc. But yeah, that, that's a yeah. tricky topic. Well, that, yeah, that's how Satan works. That's what I've learned from reading lots of people. A lot of people don't want to read negative stuff or, you know, mm -hmm. stuff about the dark side. But when you read it, you realize it's an actually a, almost a mirror image of what the gospel is. And if you can't discern, you're going to be deceived because it is so similar. I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, so I want to pose this question to you. So Janet's done lots of thought-provoking questions, and here's mine. <laughs> so on um, page, well, I don't even know if it's really necessarily a page. But um, it talks about how Christ and uh, was in the premortal existence and creating the plan and all of this kind of stuff. So if Christ, if Christ's plan was the seven-layer uh, ladder to, to heaven kind of thing, what is Satan's counterfeit, and how can we best protect against it as we start learning higher things? Because if we've learned anything from Scripture. It's that when prophets see ascend and see the either the, the great vision here on earth or the cosmic vision up in the heavens, Satan is always there to deceive and to distract, right? And so we're learning some, some big things here. 
And so how can, like, what is Satan's counterfeit plan to the seven ladders to heaven? And how can we protect against it? What are, what are some of your thoughts on that? That's the one I've been batting around, but haven't fully thought through yet. I think it's a lot of these, um, what's the word I'm looking for? These organizations that think they can achieve being great, like the Elks, the Eagles, the Masons, the Shriners. It's a counterfeit um, way of becoming great. Mm -hmm. um, there was a video. Yes. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's grabbing power. Satan has powers. Mm -hmm. And it's grabbing power from Satan and misusing it. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Does that yes. Make sense? Yes. There was a video that somebody shared on a different social media than Facebook. And it was this, oh, and I posted it as a comment in our group. I don't know if anybody saw it, but it was the most eye-opening thing. It was an ex-Mason and how he showed what the Masons really are. I and saw that, Elle. I, I listened to that. Oh, it's basically, I mean, yeah, it has roots, he said, in witchcraft and Satanism. <laughs> and it was, it was really scary. And I learned some things about, like, I didn't know, the checkerboard floor was to say that it's, it's the opposites. It's kind of like the paradox, the white and the black. It's mm -hmm. to show that you can't tell truth from evil, the black and white checkered floor that they put in their, their halls. Hmm. And I thought, interesting. I never thought of that. And it makes me want to think of, uh, look up the guy that wrote Alice in Wonderland, because a lot of the books have that and see if he was a Mason. Well, because <laughs> I'm like, wow. And hell, the thing that kind of bothered me were, were their handshakes mm -hmm. and how he showed the prophets doing those mm -hmm. did you did you catch that no i didn't catch that maybe that's a different video i don't know if you saw the no, same one it, I did. it was it was the same video <laughs> this one was like three and a half to four hour long video right right it's yeah. it's the same one it was very oh, there was so much and it was hard to i watched it over several days because there was so much it was very <laughs> disturbing wasn't it it was it was, and it just shows what evil there really is. And it, it makes it makes me just want to be on the good side. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, when you, um, sometimes when we're digging into apocryphal works or into to other faiths and what they believe, et cetera, it, it's interesting. I think that it's almost necessary for us to do so, so that we can better recognize the spirit. And when the spirit's not there and when it is there, and how we can discern truth uh, along the way um, and kind of recognize Satan in, in lots of different things. I, I think that that's a, a huge thing because, you know, Satan can appear as an angel of light uh, or mm -hmm. his, his minions kind of thing. And, and we need to, to learn how it feels, how, how we can avoid uh, some of those. Right, things. how it operates. And I just have so many friends that I won't read anything that isn't written by the brethren. They just refuse to. And I'm like, well, how do you understand, you know, how the opposition works? I know there's a couple books by, I think I, some are LDS and some are not, but it's called How to Overcome Evil. And it's understanding how the other side works so you can overcome it. 
and I haven't bought it yet, but it's on my wish list. And I can't remember the author. I want to say it's Mendenhall, but I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that rings a bell with anybody. Yeah, it, it doesn't, that doesn't sound familiar, but I'm very intrigued by it. Yeah. Um, so like all throughout my, my young life, I, I dealt with addiction and, and was very, um, very much a slave in bondage to, to some of the, the things. And so um, it wasn't until I read Stephen Kramer's book, I, Stephen Kramer, right? I might be quoting the wrong author, but um, uh, it, it's a green book. And yeah, this, putting on the armor of God. Yeah, putting on the armor of God. Yes. And some of the principles in it, how it talks about the, the true nature of Satan and how to dispel him and, and all of these things. It was like, it was a game changer because when you're in bondage, you can't seem to, to get out without uh, additional help and stuff. And that's why support groups are, are great and stuff. They never did really help me at all. I found them very off-putting, but it was because most of the people didn't know how to actually support somebody. And with the idea of proxy saviors and uh, levels of the ladder kind of thing, I can see exactly where, where Stephen Kramer is coming from, putting on the armor of God and, and actually, yeah, learning how, how Satan actually works, how to dispel him. He's had how many years of experience tempting people, putting them in bondage and uh, keeping them there. He knows exactly how our brains work and, and how they function. And yet we're just barely learning them. And, you know, we're, we're kind of those awkward goslings or uh, awkward teenagers, whatever you want to say. But um, we're just barely figuring out how these bodies work. And Satan has a lot of experience on us. And uh, we need to, um, to dive in and, and, and find out exactly what his his history is and and how to counteract those things i, I, I think that's huge for for the upcoming generation is it opera operas um, what's the word i'm looking for operas the the modus operandi yes <laughs> yes exactly how he works and understand because mm -hmm. yeah then we can overcome it better mm -hmm. and i think we can learn that too christ can help us learn that but i'm i'm reading things also helps Mm -hmm. and understanding what the evils are in the world and a lot of people don't want to see the evil in the world but i think it helps us set the time frame of where we are like are we in the days like of noah yet mm -hmm. and i think we're getting close <laughs> exactly well i think it's like eve said to adam it's better that we taste taste of the fruit so that we can know the good from the evil it's bet we have to mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> holy cow. Uh, speaking of time going fast, holy cow, it's already seven o'clock. I we haven't even <laughs> dove into a quarter of the part. I'm glad I didn't read the whole thing because uh, <laughs> I would have been <laughs> trying to do stuff. But anyway, there there's so much in this chapter. I hope that after we do dive into the actual text of Isaiah, that we can kind of come back and, and revisit some of these things that we uh, skip over or, or might not understand yet kind of thing. I think it's going to be super fun to, to read his actual words and, and pull some of this stuff out of it and, and how he was prophesying this rather than just the commentary that we can, can dive into to God's words through Isaiah. Um, any last kind of <laughs> comments or, or topics you want to discuss? There's, there's just so much here. 
but I, I've loved it. It's it's been a fun one. <laughs> I, I, through my head, I'm I'm thinking, man, do I really want to post this one or not? <laughs> there's, there's a lot of my opinions and conjectures in it, but I think I'll probably still do it, even though it's <laughs> as long as it's private to our group, I guess. It's always good. Learn a lot. It's good to have discussions. Yeah. Yeah, these are, even I mean, if we're not reading a book, it would be nice to just discuss topics or what we learn on topics because nobody in my ward wants to. Well, there's one in another ward we read a book together and mm -hmm. discuss it, but nobody wants to study. Yeah, nobody. And I'm like, they'll, why? They'll bare minimum of of come follow yeah. me, but but actual study, it, it's mm -hmm. very rare to to find. Yeah, I, I never did find it around here. And then all of a sudden, uh, the Lord told me to, to do it with, with complete strangers. And it was, it's been one of the, the best promptings I've, I've ever listened to. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I love all of our groups so much. Oh, sorry, we're not speaking. Sure, appreciate it, Cameron. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. it's wonderful. <laughs> You're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. You all are some of my my best friends i i every time i'm i'm reading something i go oh janet would love this or oh l l's got to hear this kind of thing <laughs> i love it well thank right. you for all your effort really appreciate it yeah for sure i appreciate you all showing up and, and having fun with it all right we'll see everyone next week yeah i'll see you in the next hour i guess yeah. in the next group so <laughs> yeah right. thank you bye, bye.